The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk may not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. What a block from behind, I believe, by Mills got him. Corin as well. This is unbelievable. It's 8.1 to go. The defensive intensity is at a whole other level. Poplar to inbound. Miller comes free. He's wide open for a three. Makes it. 4.9 to go. Cleveland. He'll launch it at the horn for the win. Oh, my gosh. It's good. Cleveland buries it at the horn for the win. It's good. Fire up the war chant and plant the spear. Knowles win. Knowles win. Cleveland does it again. It's all over. They got to check it out. They're going to go to the scoreboard. They're going to go to the video to make sure. But I sure look good when you watch that clock. For the third time in his career, Matthew Cleveland has buried a buzzer beater. And he does it to knock off the Miami Hurricanes and snap their seven-game winning streak. Matthew Cleveland sinks a prayer in Miami. And the FSU baseball team as well, winning the big series in Fort Worth against TCU this past weekend. It is a very good evening to you and how you be with William Haynes here and you there on the other side at 7.02 on this Monday night. You're listening to Tomahawk Talk, the weekly sports power hour on the voice of Florida State, 89.7 FM, wvfs.fsu.edu. Tomahawk Talk has a program available the next day in a podcast, wherever you find those. But glad to have you with us here live. You can call us up and share your thoughts about whatever's on your mind with Florida State sports or otherwise at 850-644-1837, 850-644-1837 as well. Uh, follow us on social media at V89 Sports, Twitter and Instagram for all of our updates. And you can even drop us a line on there. We can read your thoughts on the air. But lots to discuss as far as Florida State sports is concerned. Uh, men's basketball kind of creeping back into our lives. They had taken a seat on the back burner after that that four or five game losing streak, eight and 20, completely out of relevancy. And then down 23 points at halftime on Saturday afternoon in Coral Gables. Uh, Florida State finds their way back to win that game. Matthew Cleveland doing what he does second year in a row with uh, a very uh, unlikely finish to a game that allows Florida State to get out with a win on the road, uh, which was fun to see get some juice back into that team. Uh, They're playing UNC across the street as we speak. Uh, against North Carolina, their final home game of the season. Florida State baseball will be here uh, starting their eight-game homestand on Wednesday against uh, USF, so we'll tell you all about that as well. Florida State baseball now ranked in the, in the poll at number 16 in, in D1 baseball, so uh, looking forward to just getting right into this thing. So uh, I'm the host, William Haynes. want to introduce our crew tonight. As always, starting off with our co-host to my left, Jackson Bake. It's Jackson. Great to have you back in. It, it's great to be here, and, you know, it's really a blessing to be here. And I was just thinking, um, you know, I had a moment of, of gratitude, uh, you know, just as you were speaking, and we got, you know, uh, we'll introduce our, our guest here, our, our panelists here in a second. But, you know, it's just it's a blessing to be here. I never get sick and tired of being at this radio station. Uh, just, had a, just had a moment of sentimentality, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I'm really excited to be here. And if I was doing any better, William, I'd be dead, I'll tell you that. 
That's one of the important things we, we hear every time we bring in a, an alum back. Aria Masudi, who we had, Ryan Kelly, and, and all the likes. Every time they come back in here, they just talk about how much they cherished their time in, in student radio and, and how great it is to, to, for them to be back in this building. And for us, uh, you got to cherish those moments while they're here. And uh, that is now and in the present. And, and glad, as always, to be back sharing some, some sports talk with all of you here in the Tallahassee and the Florida State area. And rounding out the crew, we got a little bit of a, a short crew, a, a three-man operation tonight. Excited about it. But Jack Arducer making his way back on the program. Jack, thanks for coming back on. All the Knolls do is win, 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 no matter what. Uh, I'm very happy to be here. William Jackson, it's good to be with you guys. We're going to talk about some Florida State today. And it's really good to see that Florida State baseball is ranked. That's pretty crazy in itself because we are the only team that was previously not ranked to be in the rankings for baseball. So that's really good to see. And here we are today with a lot of winning for Florida State. So it's going to be good to talk about it. And like Jackson said, it's always good to be back here. I want to give you a shout-out, too. I don't think we've had John since at least I heard the news about it. But you're going to be, you're going to be working for the Tampa Bay Rays this summer, right? I am. Tell us, a little bit, tell us a little bit about that. I'm going to be doing a little bit of replay operating and being a little bit of utility within the control room in St. Petersburg at the TROP. Going back home, uh, which is St. Petersburg, to... Uh, train with them a little bit so it's just a super super cool opportunity and i'm thankful for the opportunities i've gotten at seminal productions and i just got this gig so i'm super excited i have to learn a lot i have to learn a lot more and i'm going to but yeah super cool to be working for one of the teams that i mean i've grown you know all about it just the rays it's our childhood it's the dream yeah congratulations very happy to to hear about it a uh, fellow uh, V89er just making his way down, taking on another internship with the Rays was Max Rundy. I'm sure we'll get a, a phone call from him at some point in over the next few weeks about some baseball. So starting that that pipeline to the Rays, maybe I could follow here in a couple years. Who knows? But uh, again, number to call the program. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, maybe what's on your mind, have a little bit of back and forth about Florida State. I know a lot of people are excited about baseball. Overreact. Tell us you think that they're going to go to Omaha and win it all and, and that you think Link Jarrett is the best baseball coach to ever live. If that's how you feel, come on the, the come on the air and, and tell us about it at 850-644-1837. This is what talk radio is here for, so uh, breaking it all down here on this this Monday night. Yeah, and, and Jack and I, we're, we're pretty sick of hearing Williams takes the whole time, so we, we'd love to we'd love to get some 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 fresh meat here uh, on the airwaves. Yeah, no no doubt about that. If I could second that notion, I'll I'll go ahead and do that. Uh, a little bit of a, a shakeup. There's no one behind the glass tonight. Jack Oliaro, usually our producer, he's working. I think stats and sports information for men's basketball across the street uh, at the Tucker Center. Uh, I guess we're going to see how it goes. I, I mean, I, maybe we'll find out tonight what exactly he's been doing back there all these all these Monday nights, exactly what the producer job entails. So, uh, you know, Jack, if you're listening back to that, just uh, a little <laughs> shout-out to you there. Uh, so, so let's get into this. Florida State baseball, their second week of the regular season has concluded. They started the season unranked uh, despite the, uh, the past two seasons making the trip to the, the NCAA tournament and all that. And a, and a great new head coach, but uh, a three and one road trip this past week. They had the Tuesday night win uh, across the way at the University of Jacksonville, where they beat up on the uh, the Dolphins eleven to two, 
and then they went over to Fort Worth. It was pretty chilly this weekend in Texas. A lot of wind uh, temperatures and weather definitely affecting that series. But you take two of three from TCU who came in at number eight, and they had beaten Vanderbilt and Arkansas, so they already had a resume. So that was a big uh, road series for FSU to go on and win. So number 16 in the D1 baseball rankings uh, that was released today, really putting themselves on the map for this season. We'll, we'll go kind of game by game through and then take a, a step back and look at where the team sits at the moment. Let's start on Tuesday because it's easy to get lost in the shuffle, but a lot of good things happening in that. An 11-2 win at Jacksonville. The Dolphins, not a great team, but taking care of business in a way that maybe we didn't see uh, during middle-of-the-week road games a season ago. It was a bullpen day for the most part. Ben Barrett gets the start, goes the first two innings, giving up a couple of runs. Florida State was actually down 2 nothing after uh, two innings of play, and then Florida State breaking out in the top of the third with five runs, and then the, that's where the avalanche started. Uh, the the leadoff man that's been so good, the freshman in center field, Diamez Ross, goes three for four. Cam Smith, the freshman phenom over at third base, goes three for six, drives in three runs, hits his second home run of the year. He ended up hitting another one uh, later on in the week. Jordan Carrion, three for five with three runs driven in, and Jordan Williams, bit of a struggle at the plate to start his year, but did have his home run there And Jacksonville. Fifteen total hits when all was said and done. And then you look at the relievers that followed Ben Barrett. Oxford goes three innings. Dylan Barrett for an inning. Uh, Andrew Armstrong starting off kind of his season goes two. Dennison for one. You add them all up. Seven innings, uh, scoreless baseball, just two hits allowed, uh, and and a great way for uh, the Seminoles to start the week in Jacksonville. And it was a great week for them because – they proved that you know these teams that don't make a lot of noise like Jacksonville, they still took care of business. Pitching still only gave up two runs. That's a huge thing to do for this Florida State team that has a statement to make for themselves. The fact that they kept it in control and they didn't let anything get out of hand and the offense continued to do what they did against James Madison and bring it into that next week, which eventually led to Texas Christian, it's huge. You're absolutely right about that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the defense... Played relatively well, a couple of errors, but some nice plays made as well. Diamas Ross, uh, I want to keep saying his name because he is really making a name for himself early. But that's how the week started off. Now let's go uh, to last Friday in in Fort Worth. It was, I think, about 45 degrees uh, for most of the series in, in that lone night game. 10-1, to 1, the Knowles come in and win the first game of that series at number 8 TCU. Jackson Bowmeister actually does get the Friday start. Uh, I'm not exactly sure why the the weekend rotation got shaken up. Uh, I mean, it's still early. Nothing was set in stone, but but Bowmeister had started on Saturday against JMU. Gets the Friday night nod, and he 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 balled out. There's no other way to put it. He took a no hitter into the sixth inning. Goes five and two thirds. Gives up just one hit. No runs, walks two, and strikes out eight, really putting on his best stuff here uh, to start off this season. Then Wyatt Crowell, the top reliever out of the bullpen, enters the sixth inning uh, with two out and two on with a 3 nothing FSU lead. So that's a very high-leverage situation to try and start the weekend off. And not only did he get out of that sixth, but he also finished the game. He goes three and a third, scoreless, allowing just one hit two walks, struck out six, uh, throwing 46 pitches, which did take him out of the running for the Saturday and Sunday games, but uh, that was the spot that Link Jarrett wanted to use Crowell, and it ended up working out. 
the one run that he allowed was was unearned. James Tibbs, uh, now at first base this year, goes two for five, driving in three runs. And Jaime Ferrer, who had quite a weekend, three for five on Friday, scoring three times and driving in two. Ten to one against a top ten team on the road. That's quite a way to start off the weekend. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we're going to talk about the Saturday and Sunday games, but um, just an offensive output uh, from this Florida State team. I, I, it's not something that we've necessarily seen, um, especially, you know, during, during the meat era. Um, obviously, there's some, there's some problems defensively that, that needs to be addressed, especially in the middle infield. But, you know, this is a team that, that certainly never feels out of it, for sure. And along with that, highlighting on Jackson Baumeister, he committed to Florida State at middle school, and his loyalty stuck him all the way through high school, that commit, and here he is now dominating, and he was uh, he's a highly talented uh, pitcher for sure. His start uh, two Saturdays ago was dominant as well. He got a no decision in that one, and he obviously took a no-hitter into the sixth. College baseball, D1 baseball, that's amazing. And then with Crowell coming in, like you said, William, in the coming in the bullpen he's proven to him to the team that he is a dominant pitcher look at the stats the stats are absolutely nuts for him right now 10 strikeouts six innings on only two hits and no earned runs looking pretty good for the pitching right now there were some people clamoring for him to be in the the weekend rotation it made a lot of sense but as we documented last week at least to start off the season there's not a ton of names that you just automatically come with a lot of trust out of the bullpen, and you need at least one of those guys, and and Crowell is certainly that. I think he's one of the best pitchers in the conference, if not a little bit more than that, and maybe not your typical closer role that's just going to come in the ninth inning every game, but kind of a role like this, you got a one-run lead going into the in the sixth and into the seventh, he'll, he'll just finish off the game for you, throw about 50 pitches, and at least early on in the season, he won't pitch the rest of the weekend, but uh, did everything that, that he needed to on Friday. He's kind of your nine-out save kind of guy. You know, exactly the, right. The guy that um, you know you trust to, to put him out there in the sixth inning and, and you know take him all the way home. And and one more note on on Bowmeister looked good. Uh, TCU had had a fair amount of left-handed hitters in that lineup, it, or it just looked like it seemed uh, they were coming up in moments. Uh, the right-hander Bowmeister, great changeup that he can throw to lefties, which is a which is a nice kind of change of pace and. And a, and a cut fastball that at least on that Friday night had some good movement to it. And again, took a no-hitter into the sixth inning uh, for, for, to start off a season like that against a really good team. That's all you can ask for for a guy like that. And, and we'll see, to me, I, I know Montgomery pitched well on Sunday. He, he started the, uh, the opening day. To me, there's no reason not to keep Bo Meister as your Friday starter uh, for right now, you get kind of an easier slate with Florida Gulf Coast coming into Dick Hauser this weekend, so you can kind of play with things again if you want to. But right now, he's he stood out the most to me through through two starts. Uh, but with that said, moving to Saturday afternoon again, still 45, 50 degrees, even in the uh, kind of the gloomy Texas uh, afternoon. Ten to eight, the score. Florida State on top, winning the series. Jaime Ferrer again goes out three for five, drives in four home runs, or, or f- drives in four runs, hits two homers, I should say, uh, in the same game. Those were his first two long balls of the year. Cam Smith hits his third home run of the season. He goes three for five. All three of his home runs have been to the opposite field uh, as a true freshman. That's that's quite of a, a tremendous sight to, to see his approach at the plate right now. Uh, the lineup walks. 
three times, but only strikes out four. So putting a lot of balls in play, it ends up with 13 hits and forces three TCU errors in the field. So showing what happens when you can just put the baseball in play and not strike out as much. It was close. The score was 5-4 to four FSU after 6, and then the null score 5 in the 7th to start to pull away, although they needed, as you can tell by the final score, a lot of those insurance runs. On the pitching side, it was a lot different. Uh, the true freshman left-hander, Jamie Arnold, gets his second start of the year. He started Sunday against JMU, and then uh, here on Saturday against uh, Texas Christian. Goes just two and two-thirds, gives up a run on five hits. Kind of a, a soft-tossing, side-winding lefty. Uh, he's got a couple of different uh, kind of angles. He can come in with the arm slot to try and sh- uh, change things up. But he's going to give you a lot over the plate, a lot to hit, and just a really good TCU lineup was going to take advantage of that. And so he doesn't finish the third, giving up five hits. Um, but he's still getting his feet wet, obviously, in the college baseball game. And then the bullpen uh, finishing things off. Connor, uh, Connor Whitaker. Doug Kirkland, Oxford, and Armstrong combined five and a third out of the pen, giving up six runs on eight hits. So maybe the shakiest pen performance perhaps this season. Uh, Three walks, five strikeouts. And early on in the game, you probably didn't see it because the camera angle, I guess, completely whiffed on the crew that was there. But the Knolls had turned their first triple play since 2009, I think, in, in maybe the second inning or early on. Uh, but lots to unpack here with a, a high-scoring win on Saturday. And, you know, I really want to highlight Jaime Ferrer again. Um, I mean, just look at the stat sheet. Uh, you got to think he's probably the most, you know, seven games in, the most complete offensive player. Uh, you know, fourth highest in batting average, uh, tied for second in RBIs, um, the highest slugging percentage out of everybody. Um, this is a guy that I think Link Jarrett really trusts. I think this is a guy that's, you know, he's been batting the four-hole mostly, I believe. Um, so this is a guy where if you're in a tight spot, you can you can trust Ferrer to, you know, have some sort of positive output in that scenario. But, um, yeah, this team... You know, I, I mentioned it earlier. I just want to say it again. They're never out of a game. They, this is a ball club that really, I think, has the potential to go far if they keep hitting the way they're hitting. I mean, this is by far and away the strength of the team is their, is their ability to hit the baseball. And uh, scoring 10 runs on both Friday and Saturday, uh, that's a hot start in a big way. Yeah, you see the, the power, too, and the contact. I mean... This team is showing all five tools. The offense we could talk about for a while, but I still want to highlight a little bit of the pitching. And during that during that uh, road stand, they allowed two runs to Jacksonville, one to TCU on Friday. They had the hiccup on Saturday, and then they were still only able to allow three on Sunday. The pitching is still looking pretty decent. We mentioned Bowmeister, we mentioned Crowell, Connor Whitaker does look really good. I know that he was played a role in letting TCU back in on Saturday, but. Connor Whitaker looks really good. Uh, two Saturdays ago, again, I'll refer to it, he came out of the pen and pitched five innings and ended the game, gave up no runs, only on a couple hits. He perf- He's performing. You look at Brennan Oxford, too. I know Link Jarrett wants to go to his bullpen because he, he trusts a lot of guys in there, which is a really, really good sign for a first-year coach to trust his bullpen. That's probably the hardest thing to trust is a bullpen in the game of baseball, and he knows which guys to go to, and it's great to see, and the offense is complementing the pitching when it can. 
I think if you if you had to pick a unit that's the weakness of the squad, at least right now, you would say the bullpen. I think they've had some some good days, but also some bad in there as well. I know uh, Andrew Armstrong getting a six-out save on a Saturday game, going uh, two innings on just one run with two hits allowed, but then did get tagged for the loss on Sunday. Maybe you blame the bats for that loss, but he's kind of been up and down a little bit. Doug Kirkland, a guy that I had given a shout-out to after the JMU series that hadn't pitched in two years off of Tommy John surgery. Uh, he gave up a couple of runs, uh, just not able to find the strike zone. He's pretty much just a fastball guy, but you know, mid to, to upper 90s when he's going, but just couldn't locate it on that Saturday afternoon. So, it's going to be an up and down. Did you guys have any other thoughts you wanted to add on on Jamie Arnold? Because I I'm just interested to see where he's going to end up. He's in the weekend rotation right now, but we'll see into conference play. He just he gives up a lot of contact, and I mean it's 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 going to put a lot of stress on your defense for sure when he's out there too. Well, when you give up a lot of contact, um, obviously you know we talked about the middle infield obviously not being the best, but. Um, if you can, if you can tweak, you know, some of the pitches you're throwing, maybe get a little bit more movement. Um, sometimes, you know, just me personally, when I was, you know, throwing all the way from little league up to up to the high school level, um, sometimes you just don't have the movement that you know you usually have. And uh, you know, growing up, I was a contact kind of pitcher. I wasn't going to blow you away with you know 90 mile an hour fastball. So, um, and when you're coming out flat, sometimes it's just it, it looks like a meatball and. Um, you know, you give Arnold. Uh, hopefully, he can he can find some stuff, get a little, little bit more movement on it. Um, you know, get a little bit more run on his fastball, and hopefully, we'll be seeing more ground balls uh, rather than 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 line drives. Yeah, the way the schedule breaks coming up, whether uh, I don't know the plans. I don't anticipate he would start on Wednesday against USF, but and if he stays in the weekend spot, he'll get a start against uh, Florida Gulf Coast which has a good record but has not really played a lot of high-level opponents. So it could be a nice landing spot for him to, to gain some confidence. And so that was Saturday, a 10-8 to 8 win. Now let's, let's talk about Sunday. The first loss of the season, Florida State had started 6-0 and and could not finish off the sweep uh, on the road. Uh, a three to two loss yesterday afternoon. The Knolls took a, an early two nothing lead in the top of the first. They got the bases loaded. I think the leadoff hitter reached on an error, and then there was a hit by pitch, and, and just working these at bats, working some walks. Two bases loaded walks uh, puts Florida State up by a couple. Uh, the TCU starter walked five batters in his five innings of work, so he was issuing plenty of free passes as the game went on, but. Uh, Florida State not able to take much of an advantage of it. Just one hit all game for the lineup. Carson Montgomery got the Sunday start. He started Friday night on opening day, got moved back to Sunday here this past weekend. He exited the game with the lead, allowed just one run over five innings of work on five hits, and definitely the control looking much better the second time around. He fanned five, walking only one. 45 of his 75 pitches were over for strikes, which was a very good sign for him, as we had discussed. And uh, Andrew Armstrong out of the bullpen for the second straight day. He put out a fire in the sixth. I think Montgomery had put on a couple of runners with with just one out or something along those lines. And Armstrong, I believe, got a double play to get out of it. Uh, but then stayed on for the seventh. That is something we've seen from from Jarrett so far. Uh, he he doesn't really love just the kind of one inning at a time. He likes to, to challenge guys to go maybe two or three innings, depending on the spot. 
and Armstrong now able to to finish off strong, allowing two runs in the seventh. And uh, for a Florida State team, they just couldn't find a hit. Only one all game. They struck out fourteen. Uh, that a three to two loss for the first L of the year. And yeah, Florida State honestly was uh, very lucky to be in that game. Um, you know, in the in the seventh, uh, you know, you you look, they don't have an earned run all game, um, and then there was three or four times where TCU really could have you know blew it open and they just didn't. Um, and that that double play you know, it's for Armstrong to get out of that that bases loaded jam with no outs. Uh, we, we were watching the game together. I. I I went ballistic. <laughs> That's right. I did. I uh, my uh, my throat was hurting from from how how strenuous I was I was yelling, but um, it was that was a cool moment to watch. But um, you know, I think the the better team on Sunday definitely won. Um, but I think the better team definitely won the series, uh, if that makes any sense. Um, so uh, I'm really excited to see where this team is going to go because really I think the sky's the limit and. Um, you know, good hitters are good hitters. They will usually, you know, the cream will usually rise to the top. Um, and I think defense um, is something obviously that can be fixed. Uh, and I, I think hitting is more of a kind of more of a natural um, kind of thing. Um, I don't see the offense slowing down um, relatively. Uh, obviously, you know, they're going to have games like they did on Sunday. Where they're they're not gonna have that offensive output because right now they're they're averaging not only they're averaging more than nine runs a game they're averaging nine earned runs a game yeah which is just astounding I know we're only seven games in and you know they've played some cupcakes but you know they put up ten twice against TCU the number eight team in the country so uh, you know I, I I maybe I'm overreacting um, and I'm not saying they're I'm not even I don't even know if they're gonna go to Omaha it's too early. But uh, I, I just think their potential is is maybe one of the highest in the country. Jackson, well said. I like the cons you pointed out about this team and the pros as well. I think that the offense proved that they can hang with some of the big SEC schools. I think they're one of the they have some of the they have the best one through nine lineup possibly in the ACC. I know it's too early to tell, like you just said, with the Omaha situation. But I think they have the likes to compete with top schools like LSU with. Their hitters like Dylan Cruz and Tommy White and other big names like Tennessee and Ole Miss that continue to return year after year. And yes, there's a handful of ACC baseball teams that are really, really good. But I think Florida State made a big point this week. They might have proved themselves more than any other team did in this first week in college baseball, going from unranked to being 16th, knocking down Texas Christian like they did, and proving what they needed to prove against JMU last week. This, this lineup looks so good, and I think the pitching will come back and prove themselves as well. The only thing, like, resorted back to the very beginning of this conversation is the middle infield defense, but it clearly didn't play that big of a role as the Knolls are 6-1 and one to start their season. Yeah, the bats able to, to overcome it, and it, some bats that played spectacular that even kind of slipped through the cracks of what we mentioned. James Tibbs uh, had a couple of really good games Nander DeSantis occasionally would come through with a big hit or two, and then the catcher really having a great bounce-back season, Colton Vincent, to start off, off his year and has been good behind the plate as well. Uh, before we move on from, from the Sunday game, how good was it to see Montgomery get back on the right side? I mean, getting stretched out further now, 275 pitches, but finding that strike zone again and showing that upside of what he can really be. I mean, we, we've seen this since 
you know, his freshman year that he has the potential. Um, you know, obviously the, the Martin Jr., uh, almost said administration, the Martin Jr. Uh, staff was very high on him. Um, and there's a reason why. Uh, so for some guys that, you know, they, they just got to get used to the playing under the big lights. And um, you'd like to think, I think, and I think this, I think Montgomery is getting used to it. We will see how his his season progresses and and if he stays in the starting rotation because if he gives you starts like you did on Sunday, that's a great guy to have uh, in your in your three man uh, rotation going around. So that's where they are now, six and one, and, and that that big and it's important that they go on the road and win those games as well because they really did struggle away from home, you know, last season and that's been a problem in the past. So that that's a, another another box, I guess you could say, to check off. But all the hype, that kind of the hype machine that's kind of becoming around this program, you see all the diehard kind of fans, people who cover it now, kind of coming out of the woodwork about how great it is to see Florida State back in again. The Link Jarrett effect in, in his first year already, just, just a handful of games into a season. What have you seen so far that's just, I mean, so drastically different from what we've been used to the past couple seasons? Well, if I – this is just from what I, I've heard from people that, you know, work – um, in equipment, um, the practices are just so much more efficient. Um, it, it seems as though uh, there's a little less tinkering. Um, you know, we saw with Mike Martin Jr. last year, there was such a devotion to righty-lefty. There was such a you know emphasis on um, the shift. We talked about it when we were watching the game over the weekend. Um, it seems like to me... Jarrett's a little bit more comfortable with we're going to put our best guys up out there and, you know, we're not just going to roll our helmets out there, but we're going to put our best guys out there and we believe that we're going to beat you. Um, I think it's a little too early. To, I mean, maybe you have a take, um, but I can't necessarily pinpoint ex- exactly what looks entirely different um, in terms of managerial styles other than you know, the things that I've pointed out, but uh, what do you think? I think it it's uh, obvious, at least on the face, just the change of approach. I mean, hearing some stuff uh, on some of the radio broadcasts that Eric Llewellyn does, and he gets a chance to talk to, to Jared before every game for those little hits that they do on the pregame show and, and some of the other things that you just read, that the articles that have been written. But just how Link Jared views the game of baseball, things that are just different than what was before, Whereas Mike Martin Jr., he's kind of the he was the new school approach where all outs are the same. You know, if you strike out, it's no different than a ground out or a fly out. You know, just swing the bat really hard and see if you can kind of connect and hit something. You know, exit velocity. Just hit the baseball as hard as you can, and if you strike out, no big deal. And Link Jarrett, and I know this is what people have been been begging for that traditional approach of no, like let's play clean baseball, let's let's put the ball in play, let's make contact, let's you know protect with two strikes and all these things, um, and and how he's dealt with the pitching has been a little bit different as well. And and you had mentioned it, I know Ryan Kelly said it too when he was on our show about how the practices and things are run. I think now the errors we'll talk about, but I think just the defense looks. Even with the errors, it just looks like it's a little more clean as far as some of the technique is and stuff is concerned. A lot of those errors have come, you know, James Tibbs now playing a new position at first base. That's going to take time no matter what. I know Jordan Carrion is still working through some kinks at shortstop, uh, but then all the other positions I think have been been pretty clean uh, as well. It's just, uh, 
more traditional approach, I think, is the best way to put it. Your first base is not that hard. Tell him, William. <laughs> it's incredibly hard. <laughs> <laughs> the old the old money ball quote there, uh, Ron Washington trying to teach Chris Hatterberg how to play first base. Scott Hatterberg. Scott Hatterberg. Yeah. Chris Pratt, Scott Hatterberg, yes. I think, is, yes. is where I went yes. wrong there. You got anything to add, Jack? Yeah, something quick. I, I've heard a couple post games with Jarrett, and he's highlighted how Colton Vincent, like you said earlier, is taking a big role on. He started all seven games as a backstop behind the plate. A catcher doesn't always do that. You know, a backstop is a captain for sure. Whoever's your catcher is your captain and plays that like role. But when you start all seven games, from day games to immediate night games and vice versa, he's showing some adversity playing through that quick, fast-paced environment that baseball has. And he's doing a great job, and he's producing. He's batting four oh nine, slugging seven two seven all the way throughout the games and you know starting all seven of those games my main point uh is a huge thing for the Knowles and Link Jarrett acknowledges that which is great it's it's important do have has anybody heard anything about McGuire Holbrook the the transfer catcher from West Virginia I have not heard a single thing about his availability if he's been injured I legitimately thought he would be the opening day starting catcher and that Vincent would be the backup as he had been previously in Tallahassee Holbrook coming over from West Virginia was a, an all-second team Big 12 guy last year. It was a big deal when he announced he was transferring to Florida State. He has not appeared in a game, does not have an at-bat, uh, as nothing. Um, so, I mean, but if Vincent can play like he has been, there's no, re- I guess, reason to, to change it up. I know he's switch-hitting for the first time uh, at Florida State. He did it in junior college, but then only, I think, hit from the right side. Uh, since he got here, but now is hitting from both sides of the plate, and perhaps that's opened up his his game a little bit, and it's it's been working well. Final thing I want to touch on uh, from from what we've seen to this point: defensive concerns uh, with Florida State. It's just it needs to be said they played seven games and have 13 errors in the books uh, and, and a fielding percentage. I know it's very early, but 955 is is not a fielding percentage where you want it to be. No, absolutely not, and. Um you know, I, I said earlier, and I still agree with, you know, I still stand by it, but, um, you know, the, the better team won on Sunday uh, because they did. I mean, they had a lot more opportunities. Um, TCU did I, by saying that. Um, but there was a moment, and I'm not saying, you know, the, the entire game came down to this because the offense struggled all game on the Sunday. But, uh, you know, there's the moment um, where the middle, middle infield has, you know, a chance to get out of another jam. Um and, and turn a double play and get out of the inning and still, I believe, either what, maintain the lead or keep it tied? Um, either or. Um, well, not either, but you know what I'm saying. Um, and so, you know, that, that, that error was so costly and it completely changed the outlook of the game. And um, it, has, it, it has to be cleaned up. If you expect to, to make it to Omaha, if you expect to, you know, finally hang a banner, to finally get a ring on your finger as a Florida State baseball player, your middle infield has to be stout. It has to be one that's, you know, something that people can count on for sure. That chemistry up the middle is super important. A second baseman and a shortstop being on the same page. Um, it's almost as important as a center fielder having chemistry with his left and right fielder. But it just proves that, you know, if you don't have that, it could be vital to your entire infield and your entire all nine guys on the field. So I think that will get fixed. It will get tweaked in practice, like you said. If, it's, if the practices are going well, they're obviously going to highlight some defense. And as, they, as 
you can see Link Jarrett might realize that the offense is pretty well off. And with Tibbs, too, now at first base, he only has one error in the books officially, but uh, even the plays where, you know, kind of a, a throw that in the dirt where he tries to, to kind of pick it and he can't. I mean, and, and just kind of where his positioning is on certain plays and things like that. I mean, how do we how do we feel about where Tibbs is at in his progression with that new position, too? Well, it'll take time. I mean, just, you know, we, we talked about it, and, you know, I said that about Montgomery after the, after the first series where he didn't look all too hot. It'll take time. Um, I know I'm, I'm rushing to conclusions probably about, you know, the, the potential of this team, but at the same time I think we can also hit the brakes and, and say, you know, I'll say it again, give this dude some time, he'll figure it out. Um, there's a couple things about first base where you have to, you have to experience them in game in order to really understand what you have to do. Um, there's a couple things that practice just cannot emulate. Um, so he's got what seven games under his belt now at that position. Um, so I, I, I expect him. He'll be in midseason form, you know, probably before uh, the first third of the season. I think. All right. Well, the the, the games that are coming up this week start of an eight game homestand over the the next couple of weeks. But here this week. On Wednesday, back in action at Dick Hauser Stadium at 5 p.m. against the University of South Florida. The Bulls coming up at 3-5, and five, and they've had a really tough schedule to this point. Uh, their opening series at home against number 13 Maryland, they lost 2-3 of three to begin the year. Then they split a Tuesday-Wednesday series in Gainesville with... Uh, the University of Florida now at I think number seven or that's where they were the previous week and then they went to down to FAU and dropped two of three in in Boca Raton so that's where they're at at three and five that's just a one gamer on Wednesday and then the weekend series uh, FGCU coming up at seven and one a Friday game at five Saturday at three Sunday at one. And all the games this week are on ACC Network Extra, so throw on the ESPN app or whatever you're used to. I know I all four games this past week were on ESPN Plus and, and kind of a nightmare to to access. So uh, back to kind of normal for, for this week. Looking at FGCU season, the schedule, I mean, who, who have they played? They, they had a four-game sweep of Hofstra to open the year. They lost uh, a midweek game to Indiana State. And then uh, they're coming off of a of a sweep of UMass Lowell, uh, so Indiana State, and that where Larry Bird went. <laughs> I don't even know they had a baseball team. No offense to Indiana State and Larry Bird, but golly, and that's exactly the point. Is what uh, to me what what jumps off the page is I could envision a scenario in which it's the end of the Saturday game and. FGCU is just realizing what hit them because they just have not played this level of competition and it's just going to take them maybe those two games to even just get used to what they're going up against. They know what they're walking into with Tallahassee, man. Florida State baseball's been talented. They've they've gone to the College Baseball World Series and performed in the past, and this is a team that can still compete. And with USF coming here, you know, they have a good baseball team as well. And they have in the past, in, at least in the last decade, uh, they lost... Uh, two or three to Maryland, like you said, split with the Gators, and then drop two or three to FAU. FAU isn't a bad baseball team either. I think that we can't underestimate the Bulls of Tampa and uh, Florida Gulf Coast. I think Florida State's going to have to go in there and head held high and know who they are and know who they got. 
but I think both of these teams coming in this weekend, or this week, I should say, know who they're going against, and they're going to put up a fight. We know at the very least we'll have some some split crowds. I, I imagine all the, the USF contingent are going to come up, and probably FGCU the same. Uh, the the Eagles of, where are they? I think Fort Myers. Fort Myers. Uh, Eagles! <laughs> they, uh, they played FSU in softball this past week, and, and they, they traveled pretty well on the softball side of things, so I would, I would guess baseball will be something similar. So that, that's where we're at there. Moving over to softball again. Got about 20 minutes left of the program. You can be a part of it at 850-644-1837. We'll make a quick mention here of softball. Uh, another kind of easier uh, invitational that the Knowles host rather than kind of the gauntlet that they went through in Clearwater, which we had discussed on the previous program. 6-0, and looking at their schedule. Uh, they beat Florida Gulf Coast a couple of times, run-ruled them on Thursday, beat them 7-2 on Friday. They had a Wednesday win against UNF, and then a Lamar team that I think was something like 1-7 coming in. Uh, Florida State beats them twice and then finishes off uh, the whole thing with a 2-1 to one win over Troy, who actually did give the other teams in the Invitational some trouble. So nice on Florida State for just taking everybody out, uh, simply put. Given a, a mention to to a few things while we're on this subject, Catherine Zandercock, just how she's been used this season is interesting. She's appeared in 11 games and have, has only started four of them, leading the team in innings pitch with uh, almost 41. That's nearly twice as much as, as anyone else. So it's the arm that they lean on and depend on the most. But using her a lot more out of the bullpen this season, kind of in a, if you're in the fifth inning in a, in a close game, just let her finish it off. Sort of like what we had discussed with baseball with a, with a Wyatt Crowell or, or something along those lines. But uh, Allison Royalty, who transferred over from Arizona State, has had a nice start, 5-0 and in the record book with a 224 ERA. And uh, just some pitching depth, which was showcased this week because they wanted to give their, their top pitchers some rest and allow kind of the so, some ladies to come off the bench and, and put in some work, and they did just that. McKenna Reed, uh, nine appearances all out of the pen, has been terrific, just four runs allowed in 19 innings. Uh, Allie Dubois, who I did, I covered the games on Friday. They played Lamar and then FGCU right after. Allie, Allie Dubois was basically the ace of Boston University for four years. That they just she pitched way more innings than anyone else on the team. She was their number one. Comes over to Florida State for her last year of eligibility. I guess maybe just trying to win a championship or, or get a taste of that upper level of play. And has been used sparingly. Only twelve innings of work through eighteen games of the season for the team. But she got the start against Lamar and uh, was absolutely terrific. She pitched six innings shutout of just two hits, no walks, and struck out eight. She had this devastating changeup that just buckled hitter after hitter. They wouldn't even try to, to, to swing at it, and then when they did later on in the game, it was some really bad swing and miss stuff. So Ali Dubois just showing how deep the pitching staff can be was a good sign, and uh, what a week for Janai Kerr. She's slugging 906 right now so an OPS an on base plus slugging of of 1300 at the moment uh the outfielder she's got 11 runs batted in and four home runs 
which is second on the team. Katie Dack, now the starting catcher with five homers. Uh, but but Janai Kerr had a really good week. And all the bats. I mean, if, even if you just take a peek at the, the, the stat sheet, everyone is, is hitting incredibly well. The numbers off the charts. Just picking up where they left off last year, one of the top teams in the country. Uh, hopefully they'll just be in a little bit better shape come postseason time. But uh, in the meantime, they're going to be beaten up on, on some of these non-conference teams. They have another kind of easier invitational that they'll host this weekend. Colgate for a couple of games, Georgia Southern for two uh, before things get real uh, in a couple of weeks. Where they'll, they'll go out to Oklahoma for their first true road games and then the start of conference play. So this week it's going to be some more stat padding, some more wins in the books, and they're 15-3 and three right now. They've got, uh, I think, five games this week, so very well could be 20-3 and three when we speak next, uh, and, and they're absolutely rolling at the moment sticking with uh the women's sports one of the better ones going on campus right now florida state women's basketball they go one and one in the final week of the regular season leading into the acc tournament which will begin on thursday but this past week they they went on the road for two games against teams they had beat up pretty well the first time around earlier in the year uh, but 61 to 60 to start things off over wake forest Michaela Timpson, one of their best players going right now, fouled out of the game after logging just 13 minutes. So they had to kind of turn and look to some other people to carry the way. Uh, Tania Latson, just 15 points, 4 of 13 from the field. She did struggle a bit this week. Valencia Myers with 18 points off the bench, playing one of her last games as a Seminole. Florida State shot just 33% from the field in that game and 1 of 13 from 3 and just a one-point kind of low-scoring win. Wake Forest fouled 25 times. I think they had one player foul out, and basically their entire team was in foul trouble with three or four each, and it led to 31 Florida State free throws. They went 22 of 31 from the line uh, to get that win, and they needed, as you can tell, every single one of them uh, to get out alive. And then the struggles continuing into the weekend a 74-61 loss at Clemson. Uh, Timpson, after fouling out the previous game, did not foul at all uh, in this game, recording her 13th double-double of the season, had 17 points and 10 boards. Latson again, put up a kind of a stinker, just to, to put it bluntly. She goes one for nine from the field, only four points in 28 minutes. And the bench was huge, as it has been down the stretch, 25 points off the bench. Team shoots 35% from the field, and the defense uh, allowing Clemson to go nine of 20 from three uh, there in a what was a 13 point loss on the road. That was a game that they needed. They drop out of the, the top 25 national rankings with that game. They end up with the number five seed in the ACC tournament in Greensboro, North Carolina. That will that will happen this week. They get the first round by so Thursday at 11 a.m. You can watch it on ACC Network. The Knowles will play the winner of uh, number 12 seed Wake Forest, who they just played, obviously, and number 13 uh, Virginia, who they beat up pretty good earlier on in the season. If they can win that game, they'll play the next day in the quarterfinal against number four Louisville, uh, who uh, I, they had played earlier in the year. Uh, I want to make sure I get that right. They did lose to, to Louisville at home, 82-75. to 75. Uh, a couple of months ago if they can get past the cardinals they would advance to the semifinal. that would probably be against the number one seed notre dame 
Fighting Irish or if NC State, Syracuse can make some noise uh, and come through. And then the championship game, if they get that far, would be Sunday at 1 p.m. on ESPN. So it's a lot to unpack, but kind of a, a disappointing end to the regular season. And um, to me, maybe this is a little bit drastic, but I think they're, they've kind of limped to the finish line a little bit uh, heading into what will be the most important part of the season. And Latson was you know, such an important part all season for her you know, to have that little lapse, I guess, uh, the team has kind of felt it, I think. And, um, you know, hopefully she'll shine bright in the biggest moment, which is, you know, at this point it will be the ACC championship. Um, you know, the tournament, obviously. Uh, so hopefully Latson and the entire team can really step it up. I have a good feeling that they will be able to. Tania Latson is just superhuman when she's in the zone a consistent three-point shooter, a consistent team leader on and off the court. Valencia Myers, though, is making a huge name for herself, and 18 points off the bench against Wake Forest is pretty notable. She's very dominant in the paint. She also seems to be a leader. And whenever I see her struggle from the, three th- uh, the free throw line, she kind of gets in her head a little bit, but she just needs to snap out of it because she performs and... I hope she realizes that, and she compliments the guards very well. I'm not quite sure if she plays more of the five-spot center or if she's a forward, but she, they, they kind of move around a little bit. It's hard to tell, but I think Florida State's going to go into the ACC tournament with some confidence. Yeah, I mean, we saw that they played Notre Dame on the road. They played UConn. It was a neutral site, but it was in Connecticut, so it was basically a road game. But you could tell against some of those powers – Florida State has bigs, but they don't match up well with like the Blue Bloods as far as like height is concerned. They they were out rebounded pretty bad in both of those games. Like talking ten or fifteen, maybe even twenty, losing in the rebound margin, which is going to be a problem when you go up against some of these better teams. I mean, they're just going to have to find a way around it when they shoot well. I mean, obviously, they're they're a pretty good team. With Latson, though, I mean, tenth in the country in points per game with over twenty one. Uh, on the season has shot 45.5% from the field. Have you guys noticed anything? Maybe it's the way that some of these defenses play her, where I know she she broke the record this year for most ACC Rookie of the Weeks, I think up to 10 now, maybe a little bit more, uh, 11, where she just struggles so drastically. We mentioned the four-point game against Clemson, and, and we've seen that a few times this year where it's just, is is there something different that's that's keeping her from from success? I mean, honestly, I, I couldn't tell you. I mean, it, it, it seems like it's a, you know, kind of on and off thing. Um, you know, four points. If you're the if you're the star player, um, and you're going against Clemson, and I don't know, I, some players just don't have it. Some games, and, and you can't fault them for it. Um, I remember, you know, you look at Jason Tatum during the finals last year. I mean, some guys uh, they are clearly the best player on the team. Um, but sometimes you just don't have it. It was her lowest point total of the entire season, uh, only her second time in single digits. The only other, she had nine at Notre Dame. Uh, so they're both road games if you want to look at it like that. The only thing that I could maybe say on it is just she's such a ferocious play style as far as how she attacks the rim. We mentioned you know teams that the Knowles will go up against that maybe has that height advantage maybe if they're just more keen on protecting the rim and, and she's uh, you know only stands at 5'8 and a, and a freshman so maybe 
just that that kind of hard nosed play style maybe just isn't going to work against everybody. But uh, that that's a thing too is if she's in the single digit points and you're you're struggling to to find some buckets, who are you going to get it from if not Latson? I know Timpson has been a double double machine and, and she's a great uh, big in the front court. Uh, to work with, and the bench has come on pretty strong as well, uh, mainly shooting the ball. So, Brooke Wyckoff probably going to have her hands full, as I mentioned, the team dropping out of the top 25, but still a, a lot to do. I don't know if, if hosting the first round of the national tournament is still in play, dropping that game to Clemson. I, they'd obviously have to win the ACC tournament, at least I would assume. So, we'll see if they can get there. They'll play. Uh, their first game Thursday at 11 a.m. against either UVA or uh, looking at the the schedule here, uh, Wake Forest. Let's talk about men's basketball now. And I know there's a game going on right now as we speak at halftime at the Tuck. North Carolina is up 43 to 25, so the Noel is not quite responding to the game we're about to talk about, but the call that you heard at the top of the show, the call courtesy of you know Seminole Sports Properties, the great Jeff Colhane. Maybe the last call we'll hear from him in a while because he does the the football and the and the men's basketball. But um, it it was a highlight in, in a season that didn't have a ton. Florida State goes down uh, to number thirteen in Miami, a game that the Hurricanes really needed to keep pace in the conference, and they win the game eighty five to eighty four. And Coral Gables, they were down 25 points right before halftime. They went into the locker room down 23, and then just slowly chipped away at the lead, and uh, ended with that that Matthew Cleveland buzzer beater there at the end. So let, let's first, when we're talking about men's basketball now, nine and 20, uh, that great comeback win against Miami. Nine and 20, I chuckled. It's just not. It's just it's just unbelievable to hear, and we're coming to an end now. But back to that Miami game, the Matthew Cleveland shot was huge. That was the highlight of the season. It was more than a highlight for Florida State fans. It was amazing to watch. Uh, Miami was in complete control of the game. The fan base of Miami was in complete control of that. Florida State fans didn't want to watch the TV, and then all of a sudden, you know, not even last second, the Knowles had the lead. When the clock was ticking down, like five, three minutes left, they started to make it really, really close, and they had a four-point lead at one point. And then that three with ten seconds left, and then you toss the ball from Worley to Matt Cleveland, Matthew Cleveland, and he just threw it up. And what an electric feeling for the Knowles in what was an underwhelming season. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, during that Miami game, uh, you know, they had a hard time closing in the first half. And, you know, we've we've been getting updates. from Amanda Golson right now, who's who's at the basketball game, uh, she's live tweeting it at V eighty nine Sports on Twitter. Um, you know, with six minutes left in this Carolina game, uh, currently they they were they were only down one, and now they're down you know eighteen. Mm-hmm. Um, very similar to what happened in the Miami game, but um, you know I, I I've grown up. You know, a lot of us are Jack. I don't know if you grew up a Florida State fan. I know William did. I did myself. Um, but growing up, you heard. You know, I don't care. You know how many games we win or lose, as as long as Florida State beats Miami and Florida, and uh, some people probably throw Clemson in there now. But um, I never really understood it. I was just like, you know, I I, I want to win. I don't care. Um, but after you know having a putrid season that this Florida State basketball team has had, that Miami game uh, was just everything. I think to the fan base. Um, 
I think a lot of people would much rather have that win in different scenario, different circumstances. But um, what a win, what a win, what a win. That's funny you brought that up, Jackson, because you're right. We quite uh, The Knolls quite literally put it to the test because they really didn't win any other games this year yeah. other than the Miami game. So it was really, you got nothing else but this knocking off the Hurricanes uh, in their house, I think, for the third or fourth time in a row. And that long winning streak against that team that was, was snapped with a, a pretty bad loss at home to Miami earlier this year. But they do get the the one-point win. I did not watch the game live. I went back and watched it this morning. I was calling the uh, the final Tallahassee Community College basketball game. Quick shout-out to those Eagles. They just won the, the Panhandle Conference. But those Eagles! Those Eagles, man. But I... Jackson, we were on the phone after, and you were telling me about the game because you had, you had seen how it ended, and you told me that, and I, I went back and watched it today, that Florida State deserved to lose that game because yep. just how badly they botched that that with eight seconds. The call that you heard at the top with, with Miami getting that shot off. And for Cleveland, his shot was not good at all. It was quite literally a prayer, just heaving it up at the buzzer. And without his efforts, and that's the second time he's done that, this really should have been a loss the way it was executed down the stretch. And for, you know, my, my Florida State historians that, you know, can remember four years ago, you know, 2019, um, you know, R.J. RJ Barrett, Cam Reddish, and Zion Williamson came into the tuck, and they were, I think they were number one in the country at the time, and Florida State was top ten. But anyway, I digress. Uh, you know, Florida State's up two with three seconds left. Uh, very similar situation. Duke is um, inbounding the ball under Florida State's basket, uh, the basket they're trying to score on. And uh, another thing, just a blown assignment, wide open inbounds play, and Cam Reddish, you know, hit the game-winning three uh, to break Florida State hearts everywhere, and you know it was it was a horrifying flashback, um, you know, to watch that Miami game, and, and you know, thankfully to Florida State fans' delight, uh, it was able to you know there was some time left on the clock, but um, just a total defensive breakdown. Not to be a, a Debbie Downer about this, but it's definitely worth mentioning. I mean, that's you know two very similar situations, and you know the same result. On uh, which Florida State got lucky with after. Great play, though, by Matthew Cleveland, and it definitely deserves to be celebrated. I'm hoping, desperately hoping, that the game against UNC tonight will not be his final home game as a Florida State Seriously. Seminole. We weren't there. I haven't seen anything, but, I mean, as a sophomore, he wouldn't have been honored on senior night. I think the only one they did was uh, it was Cleveland Yates, who uh, is in this, or was in the starting lineup uh, for the UNC game, and then I guess promptly removed to not... I, maybe they haven't put minutes in, but he didn't record a shot or anything. But Cleveland is a sophomore this year. He was freshman of the year a season ago. He was an ACC Player of the Year candidate coming into this season, and he's been the Knolls everything. I, what would they be without him? What would they be without him? And who knows if we'd have nine wins if we didn't have Matthew Cleveland. We clearly would have eight if we didn't have Matthew Cleveland. Yes. And we would have had one less last year, too. So he just has proven to be a big-time player. Um, hopefully, Caleb Mills can step up uh, the rest of this game and be a, the point guard he is was supposed to be. And he's starting off being the leader in the game right now with ten points. And seeing him, you know, have a bad field goal percentage throughout the year, we need to see him finish strong with this UNC game tonight in the Tuck. 
Yeah, right now at halftime, UNC 43, Florida State 25. One more game for the regular season will be on the road this weekend at Virginia Tech and then the following week in Brooklyn in the ACC tournament. Uh, Florida State will try and, I guess, kind of bring the house down and make some noise. We'll see. But we'll be back next week to discuss all of that. Baseball, basketball, you name it. Talking Florida State athletics on Monday nights from 7 to 8 o'clock on Tomahawk Talk. And and glad to have you along the ride this evening. uh, For myself, William Haynes, Jackson Bakich, and Jack Arducer wrapping up Tomahawk Talk here. New releases next. I see them uh, past me setting up equipment for a live performance later tonight so keep it locked uh you're listening to 89.7 fm wvfs tallahassee the voice of florida state